啊，至少才五。Today, I'm here to talk to you about the mountains. That's right, the capital M mountains. We seem to be obsessed with them these days. Open up your Instagram app right now. And I bet you'd be hard pressed to go scrolling through your feed without seeing a single jagged skyline accompanied by an inspiring quote and the hashtag wanderlust or live authentic. Okay, maybe you feel a bit of a rant coming on here, and well, there is one, but I promised myself I'd save that for another day. Consider the die-hard adventurers out there. They come in many different forms, from our backyard dirtbag to the family-oriented crusher, and yes, even those corporate-sponsored athletes are probably still die-hards as well. Now, consider anyone from these groups, and ask them to summarize their relationship with the mountains in a single word. What do you think they would come up with? You probably hear the words life-changing or maybe community, but one word that I can guarantee would surface is addiction. At times, I've allowed my addiction with climbing and skiing to take full reign of my life, and I really wouldn't have it any other way. The mountains have a way of possessing people in our community to throw logic and caution to the wind in pursuit of just a little taste of that cool alpine air. In May of 2014, when I learned that a four-month internship would transplant me from my home base in Montreal to the state of Texas, my imagination began to run wild with the ideas of what I thought would be endless potential for outdoor adventure. Now, I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of Texas, but as a Canadian who had never visited the state, I was imagining dusty, dry cattle ranches, saguaro cacti, rusty old oil horses, and of course, barbecue. And I knew for sure that tons of Canadian climbers flee our winters by heading to Waco tanks for the boulders. Needless to say, I was stoked to discover this new landscape. It would be like nothing I had ever seen before. And in fact, it turned out that my impression of Texas was not inaccurate. Everything that I thought that I would see in Texas can indeed be found there. But what I failed to consider was the sheer size of the state. When you fly over a territory of such immensity, you can't expect to see all of the characteristic landmarks in one pass. To the contrary, as my plane from Montreal finally descended into Bush International, just north of the city of Houston, I saw nothing but miles and miles of lush green grass veined with slow-drying rivers. This was not the landscape that I had signed on for. In the weeks following my arrival, as I got settled into my new job and my new surroundings, I craved the inhospitable, rocky landscape that I thought I was getting. 
I managed to drag a few co-workers along with me on ill-conceived trips to some nearby nature reserves, hoping that the internet just forgot to tell me what an awesome climbing mecca Houston was. We checked the surf in the gulf, finding garbage-littered beaches instead of swells. We headed north to the piney woods, hoping to at least commune with nature a little. Instead, we were confronted with the ugly reality of our economic system when we met a homeless family of six living permanently at the campsite that we visited. Through all of this trial and error, I was lucky enough to have found a decent climbing gym. My friend Cosman and I would visit Inspire Rock almost nightly, trying to forget how intangible our outdoor rock aspirations had become. Through our community at this gym, we learned of Enchanted Rock. They had told us that unfortunately, we'd chosen the worst season to try and climb in Texas. But if we really wanted to, we could climb at E-Rock and spend more time trying to hide from the sun than we would climbing. But our surroundings were completely devoid of any rocks or pebbles in the ground, let alone boulders or cliffs to scale. We craved the feeling of granite or sandstone or heck, even chossy desert mud under our fingertips. We needed to work with what we had. Our trip to Enchanted Rock turned out to be exactly as anyone could have predicted. It was 45 degrees in the sun, and we were hard-pressed to even go on short hikes, let alone climb. We found a cool cave and spent most of our time just trying to enjoy being out of the city for a few days, where locals told us that it would be too hot to even leave our air-conditioned homes. As our sixth weekend came to a close, we were less than enchanted, and were facing another five days of the nine to five, and no climbable rock to be seen. I spent a few weeks just getting strong, pulling on plastic, and pouring over the maps, trying to find some rock outcropping that wasn't prohibitively far away. Remember, I was working stiff, and thus constrained to the time frame bound by 5pm Friday and 8am on Monday. But more and more, my eyes were drawn toward West Texas and New Mexico, where I knew my previous notions of the state laid in wait. As the days rolled by, I began to reconsider my desire to be in the mountains. And I had to ask myself exactly how far I was willing to go. Gradually, a trip to the West, the real West, made a transition from being an unreachable destination to something that just might be possible. One day, I half-jokingly brought up the idea with Cosman of driving out there in a weekend. Instead of laughing, he just got really serious and darted to the maps, thinking aloud, man, could we actually make that happen? By the following Friday, we had a trunk full of gear, hearts full of ambition, and heads full of a pretty ludicrous plan. Starting from Houston, we would drive through the night and arrive at the tallest peak in Texas, known as Guadalupe, by 4am on Saturday. We would then run up the peak, take a summit photo, run back down, and continue to the Picos Wilderness area, just outside of Santa Fe, where we would sleep, wake up, run up Santa Fe Baldy, take another summit photo, run back down and then drive back to Houston. Luckily, at the time, I had thrown logic and caution to the wind. By 5 p.m. Friday, 
Cosman and I got in the car, plugged in 10 hours of music, and set Guadalupe Peak in our crosshairs. If you've spent any amount of time in the wilderness, you've probably grown pretty comfortable walking around out there at night. If you still fear the boogeyman waiting outside your tent, you're probably able to force that fear to the back of your mind. Maybe your only rational fear remaining is that of being stalked by a mountain lion. But as Cosman and I drove through the flat grasslands of southern Texas, the traffic gradually died out. The sun began to set along the horizon, and ominous summer storms brewed all around us. Before we knew it, it seemed as though we were completely alone on a pitch black freeway, and a twinge of fear stirred in my gut, unlike anything that I'd ever experienced in the mountains. I began to recall a story that I once heard about a couple getting brutally murdered in a hut on the Appalachian Trail. It slowly dawned upon me that in the last 100 kilometers or so, we hadn't seen a single gas station, nor a single car. Heck, I couldn't even remember when we'd last seen the exit off the highway. Our situation bore a striking resemblance to that of the couple that was murdered on the AT. As midnight came and went, our tired minds played tricks on us in the isolation. We had no map, no cell service, and no GPS. All we knew is that we were following the I-10 until just before El Paso, where we would turn north into the mountains. As 4 a.m. rolled around, we were finally headed north on the side road that would take us all the way to Guadalupe Mountains National Park. We stopped for a quick breath of fresh air, and as soon as we stepped out of the car and looked up, a wave of calm rushed over both of us and washed away the night of tension. Just barely visible in the morning twilight was the jagged skyline that we had been craving all summer long. We immediately got back in the car, trying to make it to the trailhead as quickly as possible. Our hike began in the dark. We had filled up our water bottles and switched on our headlamp. In the spirit of the adventure, or just plain negligence, it wouldn't be until we saw the summit marker that we would find out exactly how tall Guadalupe Peak actually was, or how long the hike would actually take us. For the first few hours of the climb, the cold morning air of the desert, coupled with adrenaline, kept the sleep at bay. After four hours of mixing slow jogging with fast hiking, the summit marker finally came into view. Our eyes had grown cold and tired, but as we reached the summit and took in the view, none of that mattered anymore. In a mere 10 hours, we had come from the hot, humid air of our swampy home of Houston to the dry, cool morning on the alpine outcroppings of West Texas. In spite of our lack of planning or forethought, so far, luck was on our side, and we had finally found what we'd set out to see. Energized by the views, we descended Guadalupe as quickly as possible. We snacked and tried to nap in the car, but we were running on adrenaline now, and we had a full five hours of driving ahead of us. Shutting our eyes would be a waste of time. We started the engine and drove north, where even taller mountains awaited our arrival. I've heard a lot of people describe the desert as one of the most boring landscapes to drive through. Born and raised in the lush, deciduous forest of Ontario, I'd never seen anything like the dusty, red-tinted badlands that we were driving through. 
We passed through small towns along the way, waving at cows and rusted out automobiles. The sun beat down upon us all day long. Until finally, just north of Highway 40, outside of Albuquerque, the 14,000-foot peaks of the lower Rockies finally came into view. A violent storm was brewing at their summits, and our hearts lifted with excitement. Before we knew it, we were passing through downtown Santa Fe, and we turned up into the mountains, climbing and climbing until our ears began to pop with the change in pressure. We found our drive-in campsite at about 11,000 feet. By this time, we had been up since 6 a.m. for work on the previous day. Almost a total of 36 hours had passed since we had last shut our eyes. We set up our tents, crawled in, and fell asleep as the sun began to set and the aspen leaves shivered in the cool mountain air. The following morning, the temperature had dropped another 15 degrees Celsius, and we donned the sweaters that we had considered leaving at home. We pondered the natural beauty of the setting that we woke up to, and it took all of my willpower to fight the urge to just stay in the Picos, climbing, trail running, and living out of a tent until the snow began to fall. We also pondered the 14-hour drive home through the sweltering heat of the Texas Panhandle, all the way back to Houston, where our responsibilities were waiting for us. We decided not to hike in the Picos. Instead, we went to the information center and bought a map of the area with the hope that we might be able to return with more experience, more time, and fewer responsibilities. We drove east, and I tried to savor every view of that moody, jagged skyline in our rearview mirror. I knew what we were going back to, and I wanted to remember this moment so I could tell myself that it had all been worthwhile. We didn't notice a change in the air over the course of the day, it was almost as if our car had sealed in some of the sweet mountain air. But as we got home and cracked open the car door, the hot, humid air rushed over us, and the frogs and crickets welcomed us home. I barely slept that Sunday night, nor any night for the rest of that week. I left my map of the Picos Wilderness unfolded on the kitchen table all week and planned imaginary peak bagging trips. It was as if, all my life, I had sensed that I would find a home in the West, and our ill-planned adventure had made me realize that even further, making it even more of a struggle to be in the East. To this very day, the map of the Picos Wilderness hangs in my bedroom wall at night. Instead of opening Netflix or reading my favorite climbing blogs, I play the music that Cosmo and I listened to on that first night driving to Guadalupe, and stare at that map for hours on end. I don't know when I'll go back to the Picos, and I know there are a lot of wilderness areas that are closer and would be just as fun to explore. But the Picos will always have a special place in my heart as a massive realm of untapped potential. And it will always be a symbol of the lengths to which I will go to be in the mountains. <laughs>